Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. All right, we should get to work. Yes, we should. Or should we go to the Disney store first? I think we should go to the Disney store. Let's do it. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Craft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to talk about procrastination, the bane of so many writers' existence, though it's certainly not exclusive to writers. We'll call a friend who is a notorious procrastinator, and that's according to her, not us being judgy, and talk about why we procrastinate and how we can do it less. Yes, and then we got a couple listener questions this week about balancing parenting and work, so we'll tackle that sticky subject, followed by a Hollywood hack straight from my bedroom. And Liz and I will be introducing our new segment, Hits and Bombs. Stay tuned for that later. But before we dive in, in episode 21, we talked about how we know when an idea is a good one, or even better, a great one. And we asked our listeners if you had any great ideas, and we got the coolest letter from a listener named Becky. She wrote... Hi, Liz and Sarah. I loved last week's show and wanted to get in touch about the best idea I've ever had. In the summer of 1998, I had this crazy thought to write to Ithaca College about my grandmother, who was a music student there in the Depression era. Back then, for a country girl from Vermont to attend college with a scholarship, no less, was quite an incredible feat, and those college years were special to her. Because of circumstances beyond her control and a couple of missed exams and assignments, she never earned her degree despite attending all four years. She carried that regret still at age 88. Well, one day after having lunch with her, I thought to myself, what the heck? Why don't I just write to Ithaca, explain my grandmother's situation, and who knows, maybe something would come of it. So I wrote a letter explaining her situation. About six weeks later, Ithaca granted my request and gave a BA in music to my dear grandma. They made her and our entire family so incredibly happy. 
I have tears streaming now as I type, remembering the surprise graduation party we threw for her and how overjoyed she was when I presented her with the diploma. We all treasure that day, even all these years later. Just three months after that graduation party, my grandma passed away. She wasn't in failing health or having any health concerns at all. It was just her time. I always recall that feeling, a kernel of an idea that no matter how outlandish or crazy it might appear, just might be the best idea of a lifetime. Wow, I am glad you were reading that. I would have started crying. Well, I was close. (laughs) What an amazing granddaughter. That is such a cool thing to do for your grandmother. Yes, you're a wonderful granddaughter, Becky. What a great idea. Next up, we tackle procrastination. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So, Sarah, let's get started with From the Treadmill Desks of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. This week, it's procrastination, delaying something, putting something off that needs to be done, which ends up causing you more stress and pain than if you had just done the thing to begin with. Writers are tortured by procrastination, but we are not alone. This is as universal a problem Mm -hmm. as it gets. Um, But since we know mostly writers, we thought we'd call a friend who openly acknowledges her struggles with procrastination, Eileen Myers. Eileen has written on Big Love, Hung, Masters of Sex. She currently has an overall deal at Sony where she's working on developing new shows. Should we give Eileen a call to talk procrastination? Let's do it. Hi, Eileen. Hi. Hi. Thank- Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for joining us. I'm very happy to uh, be talking to you. It keeps me from uh, working on my script. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's just dive into procrastination. What kind of things do you procrastinate about? And is it just writing or are you like an across-the-board procrastinator? I used to be an across-the-board procrastinator. Now <laughs> it, it's generally more centered on my work, which is probably like the kind of most significant part of my life. (laughs) that That's what I've struggled with, I think, over the years the most. And why do you think you procrastinate? Have you analyzed it? I have analyzed it at length, yeah. (laughs) Um, Therapist? I I think procrastination comes down to two things for me, and it's either fear or resentment. So like fear and resentment are the twin horses that pull my procrastination carriage, basically. I think when I was starting out as a writer, the fear came from wanting it to be great, you know, like it had to be great. And if you want something to be great, like that is the fastest ticket to not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and then I think over the years I had to identify, you know, what 
what actually do I really want out of my writing? Do I want adulation? And when I got more kind of granular about what I really wanted, which was, you know, the process is gratifying to me. Mm. And it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be the idea that's in front of me. You know, the Mm. idea came to me and it's my job to pursue it and see it through. So I think that, you know, when I'm writing on spec or left to my own devices, you know, I can sort of (laughs) master my fear, but resentment gets trickier because, you know, once I turned pro, then you get into notes. And then that gets to be, I think, you know, very tricky psychological territory because then it has to do with like you feel infringed upon or you internalize the criticism or I don't want to have to do this. My way was right, you know, and then you've got to kind of work through the resentment. But that's basically it for me. It's fear and resentment. And then I have some like tools for how I deal with (laughs) my fear and resentment. Well, I want to hear first, I want to hear what you do when you to procrastinate. And then I want to hear about your tools. So like, what do you do when you're procrastinating? What does it look like? Oh, oh my God. Well, I watch a lot of Columbo. Uh-huh. I watch a lot of Columbo. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's great. great. In fact, one time, because we do share an agent one time when I was writing my first pilot, and I just kept getting paralyzed. And I basically wrote Matt. And I was just like, all, all I do is watch Columbo. Oh I don't know what God. to do. Oh, my God. So I just felt like I had to come clean about it. Anyway, so I do that. And then, you know, it's like the typical stuff. It's almost like there's a snake in the corner of my house and I don't want to look at the snake. Mm. And so that's what procrastination feels like to me. It's always kind of like there in my periphery, but I'm doing other things. You know, I'll clean, I'll organize, I'll go for walks, I'll return emails, I'll decide I have to read the New York Times, I need to be up to date. You know, it's just like, that's it. I can, and then, you know, whatever, six hours are gone. My problem is I won't do things, though, that I want to do when I'm procrastinating. So, like, I won't exercise because that'll feel like too much of a commitment. So I could have done something productive, but I won't commit to doing something productive. So instead, I'm binge watching, you know, MTV Challenge Marathon, you know, (laughs) Um, something that I can convince myself I'm only going to do for five minutes, but then it ends up being six hours. Yeah, same. I won't do anything, you know, I would never or even do something nice for myself, like, okay, okay, well, maybe I'll just right. go to a museum. If I'm not right. going to do anything, I might as well enrich myself. Yeah, it's not that. It's it's You really do like the lowest common denominator stuff. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you, Eileen, because I have found that to me, the best cure for procrastination was having a kid. Because I, I think I procrastinate like, I mean, 20% of what I used to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Did that help you at all? Yeah, that did help. That did help. But not, you know, not in the way it should. <laughs> Um, whatever, three o'clock in the afternoon comes fast, you know what I mean? Uh But yeah, that definitely has given me more structure and more gotten me more disciplined. That's true. That's made a difference. Now, Eileen, let's go back to the tools you were talking about and what your tools are and if they're sort of, are they universal tools that would help everyone or are they specific to you? Okay. Well, one's a universal tool one's kind of specific to writing. Mm. So have you guys heard about the Pomodoro method? No. Uh -uh. 
Okay, I really love this. This guy developed this thing. It's called the Pomodoro Method because he used a tomato timer. And basically, <laughs> you break tasks down into Pomodoros, which are 25 minutes. And after 25 minutes, you can take a break, like a five-minute break or a 10-minute break. And then if you do a series of Pomodoros, like four in a row, you get like a half an hour break. Mm. And there's something about the psychology of like, I just have to do this for 25 minutes that really helps and helps you stay on task. And I find for with writing, sometimes it's the thing that helps me get into flow, but I use it for everything. I use it for cleaning. I use it for, I think a timer is great because it also shows you actually how short a task is. You know, I discovered mm. that unloading the dishwasher really only does take five minutes. That's all it takes. It feels like the death march of Bataan to me. I hate <laughs> unloading the dishwasher, but it really, in reality, it's only five minutes. So I do use the timer a lot. And like I said, I use it for all tasks and I find it really helpful. I think the slight downside of it is, is that five minute break often stretches for me, especially if you get on the internet. I have a really hard time disciplining myself around the internet. But in general, that works for me. And as a writer with writing procrastination, this is something I read. I'm a detective fiction fan, and I was reading an interview mm. with Sue Grafton, who wrote all those Kinsey Mulhone mysteries, and she was talking about her process. I like reading about writers' processes. I do it a lot to see if I can pick up mm -hmm. any tips. And she does this thing where when she is writing her novel, she keeps a diary. So what I've done probably for the last, I don't know, five or six years is if I have a script up, in final draft, right next to it, I have my diary also in final draft. Because what I find is that it helps me work through my resistance. And I think also, you know, this is why I'm envious of writing partners, because you guys can sort of start to talk and just kind of get the juices flowing. And you, because you have each other, you're accountable. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think when you're writing on your own, and you're in isolation, you can just get so inside your heads. So the diary helps me process like what's on my mind. Mm. So either I'm pissed off about the notes, or I don't feel like doing it. And the other thing is, is that if I get paralyzed on a script and don't know what to commit to, the diary is a place where I have permission. It's like my sandbox. It's like, well, let me just try this. Mm. Let me see if this works. And very often, I'll just cut and paste that scene into my working draft. It's just a weird psychological trick that I feel much more freed up in my diary. And it helps me process my thoughts, pitch to myself, complain. Um, and that is a real like procrastination buster for me. Rather than going like, you have to sit down and write this scene, I just go, I just have to sit down and write in my diary. I love that idea. That's so awesome. I think that goes to me what I do think the sort of real reason people procrastinate, I think, is anxiety, fear, like what you said, resentment. I don't really think it's about just not wanting to work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are definitely more subtle foes at force there. And I think it's worth taking a moment to identify them. And that, again, is what my script diary does for me, is that it helps identify what's really going on, what's underneath the procrastination, which is resistance, paralysis, fear, resentment, and then why. And then sometimes, you know, it's like, I don't like the note, and I do feel infringed upon, but something about it is sticking with me. And I think, okay, maybe there's something here. Or sometimes I'll take the feeling I'm having in the moment, which is like, I'm anxious and I'm angry. Is my character anxious and angry? Yeah. Okay. Use it. Right. Go. Mm -hmm. So it really helps me kind of break through my resistance. Cause as you said, it's really not about laziness. It's not about not wanting to work. It, it, it's about something else for sure with me. Well, in some ways, 
procrastination is almost a healthy reaction. It's like it's telling you that something is amiss, that something needs to be addressed. Mm, Or is it just bad? (laughs) I don't know. What do you think? No, I I think you're right. I think it is telling you that something is amiss. Uh, I think that's a great way of putting it, framing it. Yeah. And Eileen, have you ever procrastinated to the degree that you've actually had negative consequences or do you always pull it together just in time? <sighs> That's a big sigh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm really thinking about this because I think in the beginning, you know, I think that was part of it. Like in college, there was a long history of waiting to the last minute, but then sort of pulling it out. And there was sort of a weird satisfaction from yeah. that. But no, I think there have been negative consequences to it, not only in terms of other people, but I think my own sense of self-worth, you know, because then there's the self-recrimination about it. Uh, I am like, okay, is this really the person I want to be? And no, we want to take self-esteeming actions and procrastination doesn't feel good. Yeah, I know when I'm procrastinating, a lot of times like I'll feel nauseous for the entire time I'm procrastinating. It's a physically... It's uncomfortable, and yet I continue to do it. It's just like makes no sense, but yet, as we know, it does. (laughs) Right. I just – we read a couple articles about procrastination, and the common theme in the articles was forgiving yourself Mm. for procrastinating, that you have to just forgive yourself, let it go, in order to procrastinate less and to be able to move on. Yeah, and we will link to a couple of these articles because they have just saw, I think different tips work for different people. You know, for some people, writing something down on a calendar is going to work. For other people, the Pomodoro method. The Pomodoro method, yeah. So (laughs) we'll link to these and people can read and see what works for them. Yeah, um, I I love uh, what you just said, Sarah, because I do think that, I mean, I generally think in life, like more compassion, more compassion mm-hmm. for yourself. And even when you just said that, like I felt my body kind of like soften and relax mm-hmm. a little bit. And I do think there is something to going like, yeah, you know, you got to just forgive yourself. Don't beat yourself up about it. And then take the next step, take the next right action. Yeah. All right. Well, we cracked that. I know. Thanks, Eileen. <laughs> this is very therapeutic for me. Yes. Ho- I'm ho- I want to know if just talking about it helps you, you know, at all, like get over it. I think it did. I've been in the middle of it this week. I've been struggling this week. So this was really helpful. Thank you. Okay, good. Awesome. <laughs> all right, well, Thank you. Thanks for taking time out of your, your busy day to yes. talk to us. <laughs> No problem. Good to talk to you both. You too. Thanks, Eileen. Okay, bye. Bye. What do you procrastinate about? Has procrastinating ever come back to bite you in the ass? Let us know. Email us or better yet, record a voice memo and send it to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And speaking of voicemails, we recently got a great one from a listener who doesn't want us to use her name, but she wants some tips on launching a career and starting a family at the same time. As you might imagine, we have some thoughts. But first, let's listen. Hi, Liz and Sarah. I love the show, and I've got a very pressing question for you both. So after 10 years of writing solo and not getting very far, I've teamed up with my best friend from USC screenwriting grad school, and we've realized that both being obligers, we get a lot more done as a team. We're doing great with our writing, and we have two pilots that are ready to go out and be read by agents, friends, etc., And I'm lucky because my husband is a fairly successful TV writer, so he 
has introduced me to a lot of people who can help us get to the next level in our careers. But here's the question. I'm 35 and we're thinking about starting the process of having a baby soon. And my writing partner is 39 and has a two-year-old and is currently doing IVF. So my question is, how do you navigate pregnancy and motherhood while trying to get staffed at an entry-level position in TV? It seems almost impossible, and I can't imagine going into showrunner meetings with a giant pregnant belly and it turning out well. So I'm curious how you handled being pregnant and working in the industry and how you handled maternity leave, all that stuff. Uh, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing your answer. Okay, Liz. So we got that question. And at about the same time, we got another question from a listener named Margot, who wrote, I have a 16-month-old daughter, and I'm struggling with how to keep the career dreams alive after working a full day, getting the little one fed, bathed, and into bed, and maybe sneaking in a little quality parenting time, too. By the time that's done, I'm exhausted. I'm trying to keep my eye on the prize and make time for my own creative work to minimal degrees of success, but I've also been trying to be kind to myself and not force myself too hard since having a toddler, a husband, and a demanding job is exhausting on a good day. But at what point is being kind to myself just turning into an excuse to watch more TV? I've been inspired by Matt's advice, that's our agent Matt Solo, to dig back in and try to find the best strategy for sneaking in an hour here or there and reclaiming my 7 to 10 p.m. time for career time. Reclaiming my time is a big theme here. Thank you, Maxine Waters. Any advice from the mom POV about where to draw that balance? That's tough. Yes. So both of these women are sort of trying to start their career. One is at the beginning of starting her family already. The other is just diving in yes. to the family beginning process. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really complicated and difficult question. It's not easy to be a mom and work in television. Right. It's no. definitely easier in drama than it is in comedy. Yeah. And we should say up front that we had a fairly easy time of it. Yes. I happened to get pregnant, like, at the perfect time where we were ending one job and another job hadn't started yet. So I really ended up being able to have six months off, which was amazing. Your timing was good, but not quite as good. My timing was pretty good. I ended up getting about five months off. I was working on a pilot from home at the time. But it was very unobtrusive. Like, I, you know, right. <laughs> I was breastfeeding in the living room while breaking a story. It, it wasn't, like, bad timing. And we were pretty high level at that point. So, it, you know, it really, for us, it's always complicated and a difficult balance. But the timing worked out well. Yeah, and it's hard because, yes, we were both high level when we got pregnant. Now, the downside to that is that we were older. So getting pregnant, you know, yeah. was, uh, I guess, a little more um, anxiety-ridden in that sense because yeah. we're older and we're always telling people to get pregnant when they're young. Right. I mean, our biggest piece of advice, I think, is not to wait. Yeah. You just have to plow ahead and let the chips fall where they fall, unless you want to freeze your eggs. Yes, which we have discussed. <laughs> We're big proponents of egg freezing for anyone who wants to get more of their career under their belt before they um, start a family. It's really hard when you come home and you are taking care of a kid to get that time, like Margot's talking about, to mm -hmm. put in like those extra hours into your career. Part of it is asking for help. 
Like, yeah. seeing if other people, like, I think, you know, Margot is married. So saying to her husband, can you put the baby down tonight so I can have this extra 45 minutes to yeah. myself? I do think people are more willing to help than we think they are. Yes. I you don't have that true. luxury being an only parent. Right. But I like I've recently started going to a Pilates class one night a week and I asked my nanny to stay late and she's fine doing that one night a week. And I don't feel guilty about missing bedtime one night a week because I really, really like Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't done it in like five years. So, you know, our thing is just you just sort of have to move forward. And this is just our opinion. It's not a universally held opinion. We know at least one woman who thinks that women shouldn't become moms until they're, like, executive producer level. Yeah, which is just not happening. That's just not realistic. No. Reality is much messier than that. So you just have to know in advance that things aren't going to be perfect. Yeah. A friend of ours said that she realized she can be a great director and she can be a great mom, but she can't be both at the same time. Although yeah. I bet she is a great mom and a great director at the same time. <laughs> she probably <Knowing> is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think she means literally, like, I can't be totally focused on this for four hours and be also thinking about, like, organizing lunch for my kids the right. next day. Like, she compartmentalizes, I think, so that she can really focus on both things, but at different times. Yes. I mean, I know for myself— being, you know, very ambitious and having a demanding career, I have given up a lot of the mom things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't make Jack's lunch. I don't very often help him with his homework. You mm-hmm. know, there's just things that I have to rely on other people to do because I'm literally at work. Right. And I felt guilty about it for a long time. And then I just decided, you know what? Like, he's fine. Right. I'm just going to not waste my entire life feeling bad that I'm not preparing a bento box for him every day. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to be said for granola bars and fruit roll-ups yeah. <laughs> in kids' lunches. I do Violet's lunch, but it's a very simple lunch. And for me as an only parent, I sort of decided that I would pass off certain things like grocery shopping mm. and picking things up at the dry cleaner to Violet's nanny Mm -hmm. so that when I am in mom time, I'm not also having, like, errand kind of life weighing you down time, you know. So when I was hiring her nanny, I was very clear about, like, this is also part of the job to take that burden off of me so that I can focus more on just like quality time. And that is a good side note tip is that when you're hiring a nanny, if you're hiring a nanny, be upfront about those things so that everybody's clear. Yes. And to just go easy on yourself because the balance of what's important changes from day to day and from hour to hour. There are times when you need to be 100% focused on your job. And there are times when you need to be 100% focused on your kid. And you can't always anticipate what those times are. Right. Something will come up. Yes. It is very helpful for those of us who have partners in that time because someone else can pick up the slack. Right. And if you don't have a partner, just make sure you have a good backup system. Yes. (laughs) Now, Sarah, as for, like, the actual getting hired when Mm. you're pregnant, you know, gosh, that's a tough situation. I mean, does it happen? Absolutely. Yeah. People hire pregnant people all the time. People also hire people like who uh, we have a friend who wore 
very flowy scarves around,、uh-huh. you know, around her neck that covered her belly until she was, I think, like six months pregnant, and she was renegotiating a deal at、yes. the time. And you know, she absolutely hid the fact that she was pregnant. Yes, yes. You know, is everyone going to hire someone pregnant? No, no. I mean, and it, you, you know, because also a lot of times jobs are short. So if you have a ten-week job and the person's going to have a baby in three weeks, it's just hard. Yeah. But here's the thing: you may as well go on meetings because why not? I mean, maybe you will get hired. Yeah, it goes back to you just have to plow ahead. Like you really、yeah. can't think about the consequences、yeah. too much. You、yes. just have to move forward professionally and in your life, and let things happen as they happen because it's all unpredictable. Every situation is different. You don't know how long it's going to take you to get pregnant. You don't know when the right, right job is going to come along. You just can't predict these things. I mean, we have one friend who very specifically timed having her baby in. Like a three-week period that was just totally insane and would only work out for her. Yeah. But in general, these things are not in your control. Yes. And while legally it doesn't matter if you're pregnant in terms of getting a job, we all know that it often does. So that's the reality we're living with now. Well, and hiring in our business is so subjective. It is. Yes. That you know you can't. Really, say someone wasn't hired because they were pregnant, or because they didn't click with, you know, an environment in a room. Right. It, it's it'd be very hard to prove that. Yeah. Sarah, I will say we had a big important pitch meeting <laughs> when you were nine months pregnant. I mean,、yeah. you were days away from giving birth, and I had the most swollen ankles in the world. Yeah. And we did decide between ourselves, we go, you know what? Maybe you should just call in, even though they know you're pregnant. They don't need to see it, <laughs> right? Exactly. And、uh, and it went well, and you called in, and it was fine.、Yeah. And then、uh, seven months later, we were. Shooting a pilot, and you had you were like breast pumping in the van. Yes, in Hungary. Yes. So anything <laughs> can happen, ladies.、Yes. So Liz, would we hire someone who was nine months pregnant? Absolutely. <laughs> Up next, our Hollywood hack. But first, an ad break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match, limited by state law. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, Sarah. This comes straight from your bedroom. <laughs> yes, in my bedroom, I have a meditation chair. It's actually called an ergonomic meditation seat. Okay, it's this weird-looking, low-to-the-ground chair. We'll put a link to it on our website, and it's super comfortable and it's set up just right for. Meditating.、Mm. So you think this is helping you meditate more regularly? Very much so, because part of why I didn't meditate is that I found it so uncomfortable, and I would have、mm. bolsters and pillows, and like my feet would always fall asleep. And and in this chair, it really helps you have the right posture for meditation. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So I saw it on this website called the Gromit, and splurged on it because it's a bit of an investment. But I also decided I'm more likely to actually sit down and use it. 
if I've made like a financial commitment. Right. You know, you don't want it to be a closed uh, receptacle. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And it's not. So I really do use it and it makes meditation just more comfortable and an overall more effective thing for me. I will say my meditation lately has been very comfortable because I'm usually doing it at night with Jack laying down on his bed. Oh, that's so nice. Yes. The three of us line up on Jack's bed and we (laughs) meditate um, to a guided meditation. So um, I'm very comfortable. (laughs) And I often fall asleep. Oh, nice. And you were saying that your friend Alexa has her own special meditation seat. Yes. I was at my friend Alexa's and she's got these incredible, like, hanging pod chairs they're not hanging from a ceiling. They're out on a deck and they're their own sort of unit. And they're these hanging, swinging pods. And she said she meditates in those. And they're really cool because she's got this amazing view. And you're like, okay, this would be a great place to meditate. Oh, that sounds incredible. Okay, so I will Instagram a picture of my meditation chair. And if any of our listeners have a special meditation spot, Instagram it, hashtag happier in Hollywood. Okay, Sarah, before we say goodbye, it's time for a new segment we call Hits and Bombs. Yes, and since this is Hollywood and we look at everything through the lens of big hits and big bombs, we are going to divulge our own hits and bombs, the bright, shining moments and the giant thuds. (laughs) Yes, and you had a hit this week. I did. I had a really um, challenging week, just lots of family stuff and life stuff going on that was difficult. And so... Every morning I go to the Starbucks drive-thru. Get your cold brew. It's very important to me. (laughs) Um, And they were doing a raffle for the AIDS Walk LA. And I was like, okay, I'll just do 20 tickets. And so I filled out one, and the nice lady was like, I'll fill out the rest of the 19 so you don't have to sit here or come back. It was like the whole thing was so nice. And then like three days later they called me. And I won the raffle. Hey, what did you win? I won this great porcelain coffee brewer and a big bag of Starbucks coffee. And in a really crummy week, it was so nice. I mean, it really kind of, it really not, like didn't just brighten my day, but just kind of made everything kind of feel lighter and better. Yes. As your writing partner, I can tell you that you definitely had a little bounce in your step yeah. after you got the call <laughs> that you won the Starbucks raffle. So that was my hit. It's a nice. small thing. It's a small hit, but it's it was a really, things. yeah, it is the small things. Um, so Liz, you you have a bomb. I had a bomb, yes. <laughs> it's a okay. mutual bomb. It's, it's a, a bit mutual, of a mutual bomb. But it's kind of my fault. So our assistant, Boafla, had a birthday a few weeks ago now. And we failed to give her a birthday present on her birthday. And we told her, oh, we're going to get you your birthday present Monday. (laughs) And then we're like, we'll get it to you by Friday. And then we're like, okay, next week we're definitely going to get your birthday present. And she's right now on a two-week vacation um, to Ghana. And we said, no matter what, we will get you your birthday present before you leave for your trip. Because, of course, it's cash. And we knew she would need cash for her trip. And uh, we didn't do it. And the reason it's my bomb is because your mom was in the hospital. You were really obviously occupied with that. Um, Your mom's out of the hospital now, I will mention. All is well. Um, But I didn't follow through and get Wafa her birthday gift before she left. So she's off without her birthday gift. (laughs) And now we have to definitely give it to her the day she gets back. Well, the good news is... (laughs) 
The longer we fail to give it to her, the better the gift has to be. That's true. We're at every week. We're like, oh God, we have to give her more money now. Right. Exactly. Yes, that's true. She's probably gonna have a double what it would have been. Right. Exactly. Because we so, feel so bad. So that's my bomb. Well, bombs happen, as we know, um, but we will do better at Christmas. That's our pledge. Yes, better for Christmas. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. If you had any hits or bombs this week, email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. Thank you so much to Eileen Myers for sharing her wisdom about procrastination. And thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Elizabeth Craft and Sarah is at Sarah M. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. You can find us on Instagram. I'm at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, can you imagine if you'd actually gone to that meeting when your ankles were so insanely and oh your my feet god were so swollen? Oh my god! No, we we never would have gotten that pilot made. They would yeah. have been like, just just go, yeah. just get out of here. It would have been very distracting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>